Hello and welcome to the Faculty Podcast, covering the latest breakthroughs, research, news and insight delivered by the world's leading academic and industry figures. Across you know, Western societies, there's this, we've got this discourse around that boys are failing and girls are doing really well in educational contexts. Um, and so as a, and this has been like a historical thing since the 90s. And so um, we now have this discourse around girls being really successful in the areas of education. Um, and so they just succeed at everything. They, they do well socially, they do well academically. Um, and they're empowered and don't really need feminism anymore because they're doing so well. And so we see it as boys having a problem in education. Um, and in particular, there's this talk around this a super girl who is the, the girl who has it all as far as education goes. And there's quite a bit of research from um, looking from primary school right up to university around this super girl ideal who, who can do everything well. The kind of research that we've been doing has been showing that... Um, their experiences are really complex and so it can be really different depending on things like um, ethnicity, social class, whether the first in family to go to university, the kind of school that they went to or where they live, um, just things like even knowing somebody else who's been to university before or having any experiences around a university. And so there's this real problem with the successful girls discourse or a super girls discourse because it assumes that all girls have the same experiences or they're all successful in the same ways. Um, and it just isn't the case. So this was um, a very small scale study. It consisted of 12 students and we recruited it across uh, three different courses. So the first course was journalism, then human movement, and then literacy education. So for maybe your readers are unaware, human movement is um, like an introductory course and then students can go into different health or physical activity related fields. In Australia, they call it human movement. And then over the course of the year, uh, the 12 students were interviewed at three different points. So an introductory interview in the beginning, uh, and then an uh, interview at the end. In the middle, that, that middle interview was a, a focus group where they watched a film that was created by first-year students uh, to capture the first-year experience. And then they kind of responded to that, that film as sort of a little bit of a stimulus uh, material. Out of the 12 students, two of the girls um, identified as Asian Australian, and we just wrote this as a comparative case study of their experiences. Even within 12 students, you get a lot of diversity in terms of their experiences, how they sort of um, in terms of aspirations, uh, particularly, we, um, part of the study was documenting their aspirations and how they changed over the course of that first year. And as you're probably aware, you know, that transition in the first year of university is a very definitive time. It's a time when uh, people argue, scholars argue that students are at their most vulnerable, but it's also a time when they're changing or modifying their learner identities. Uh, in lots of ways, it's, you know, they're, you know, the majority of the students in the study uh, still lived at home, but going to university was a very different space for them. They have all different levels of familiarity with the expectations in around university. And some of the other findings we explored was around their experiences and how that informed their aspirations, but then also uh, in terms of their general um, 
experiences around misinformation, navigating the university campus. And as you can imagine, it's very different the students who are in journalism or human movement or uh, literacy education. Possible Selves uh, has been used, uh, it comes from a psychology background, but it's been really adopted into the psychosocial. And within that, um, in terms of the fields of psychology and sociology, and recently it's been used more and more in higher education. And we were inspired by previous scholarship in and around that, but um, <clears throat> Possible Selves, as a nuance processes of change and transformation, when we thought about how people incorporate hoped for and feared futures into their identities, right? So in terms of aspirations changing over time, you look at the first interview we conducted versus the last interview we conducted, you can see how they're modeling possible selves that are part of their aspirations. And then we also consider another part of the possible selves thing is that the university site sort of privileges or celebrates a certain type of self and students, uh, whether they realize it or not, are kind of required to uptake that type of self or that type of identity. Uh, and also within that, you know, higher education institutions are always sort of future oriented. So the notion of you're going there to construct your future in a particular way, and it's beholden to you to construct the self in a particular way uh, in and around, in and around that, that expectation. You know, at least in Australia, and, and I think across a lot of the Western countries, there's this real assumption around Asian femininities um, that they work really hard at school, that they're um, really, really focus on education, they listen to their parents. And a lot of these are really stereotypes. And we noticed that in studying these two girls that their stories and their narratives weren't, um, you know, aligned stereotypes around Asian femininities, which I think is really important. And also, like, to build on what Sarah just said, it's like the girls, you know, Joy and uh, Naomi in this study, the girls are really aware of those stereotypes. Yeah. And like, they kind of uh, either embody those stereotypes or they sort of kick against those stereotypes at various moments over the, the course of that year because they know the way that people potentially perceive them, I guess, based on their physical appearance. The two case studies of Joy and Naomi highlight the differentiated and diverse ways they navigate those feminine identities and how they're sort of subjectivities or their identities, how they form in relation uh, to the aspirations. And as I mentioned before, how their aspirations change over time. And then I think we saw a lot of examples in the data around how they accept and resist the aspirations placed upon them by their family, as well as the higher education uh, institution. I think that's kind of the key finding there. So, you know, they find ways of accepting and resisting the aspirations placed upon them by family and higher education institution and arguably society as a whole. But then you also, in terms of the nuanced differences, you have, you know, Joy performs a good girl learner identity, you know, the possible self for her is that good girl identity and she downplays her achievements while Naomi is more relaxed uh, attitude can be read as the ability to perform that successful girl as aligned with that supergirl that Sarah mentioned. 
despite not being fully invested in her studies. So another way of reading that data is that Joy, who comes from a working class background, performs the good girl and downplays her achievements, while Naomi, who comes from a middle class background, has this more relaxed attitude and she sort of she she is able to perform that supergirl, but she's never fully invested uh, in her studies uh, in the way that uh, Joy is more determined, but has but comes from less has less cultural capital. I think it really the whole study highlighted how their possible selves were fragile, so that they were able to um, you know as they went through, they really aimed for this version of themselves that they hoped to be. Um, but if it, things weren't quite working out, they were able to shift and, and come up with a new possible self or a new version of that and then aim for that. So, for example, Naomi um, was really only doing journalism with creative writing because her parents, she said her parents would kill her if she just did creative writing and that it was impo important for her to have something that they saw as being like a real career. Um, and so she added the journalism in. But as she was going through the degree, she actually found she was really enjoying journalism. Um, and so, you know, she was able to start to see that maybe there was a version of journalism that she could do that would fit with her, um, in particular blogging. And so she was able to reimagine this version of herself that she might aim to be in the future. Thank you.